Amen. Because of his steadfast love. That's our only hope uh, in life or eternity. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, would you open them please to the book of Nehemiah? We're going back into the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We began there uh, a couple of months ago in chapter 1. We've made our way now through to chapter 10. And as we look into Nehemiah chapter 10, we discover an agreement that is made with the people of God in the telling of the story of Nehemiah. Now, I need to give just a little bit of recap because it's, it's been a few weeks since we've been here. I'd forgotten some of it, so I, I kind of presumed that maybe you did as well. Remember the story of Nehemiah. The people of Israel have been in Babylon, in the Babylonian captivity, uh, there for 70 years. God is beginning to restore the nation. And so in the book before Nehemiah, you have the book of Ezra. Ezra and a group of people travel from Babylon, and they come to Israel, and they read build the temple of God there, the place of worship in Jerusalem. And then after that, Nehemiah comes with a group of people as well, and their goal, their job is essentially to repopulate the city and to restore the walls that had been broken down around the city. Walls were very important in those ancient cultures. They, uh, they were designed as a measure of protection, as a measure of identification, but especially with the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was known as the city of God. It was, uh, it was a city that was indicative of the glory of God. And when the city is lying in shambles like it is, it, it, uh, it, it speaks poorly of the glory of God in the midst of the culture in which they're living. So Nehemiah brings the people in. Uh, when we came to Nehemiah 7, the wall around the city was rebuilt and there was great rejoicing at that. And then once the wall is built around the city, the people of God, they've, they've been without the word of God while they've been uh, slaves in Israel. And there is a, a type of revival that takes place among the people. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we're introduced to it. The people of God gather together. They read the word of God. They apply the word of God. And we talked about the importance of being people of the word and knowing God's word. One of the things they discovered in their reading and understanding of God's word is that there was a festival that they had been neglecting, the festival of booths or of tabernacles, a festival designed to remind the people of their dependence upon God and his great provision for them. And so they said, hey, wait a minute, we've not been doing this, we need to do this. And so they made immediate application of the Word of God. All of this leads us now into Nehemiah chapter 10. And Nehemiah chapter 10, especially the beginning of it, you have a, a, a list of what looks like the genealogy from the Gospel of Luke or from Chronicles or something like that. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you've got this long list of names. Oftentimes we'll come to a passage of scripture like that and we'll quickly gloss over that and try to find a section where there is not a long list of names so that we can read it better. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the reading of these names and I'm not going to embarrass myself with the attempt to read these names to you this morning. You can do that on your own if you're feeling adventurous this afternoon. But one of the things that struck me in, in, in thinking about this, uh, this sermon and thinking about this passage of scripture, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. Maybe one of the sites that you saw at Washington, D.C. was the, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial there. 
this, this granite or, or marble, whatever it is, I'm not sure, uh, there within the ground and, and names etched within that. It's a reflective thing. So as you're reading the names, uh, your eyes kind of in the background see yourself standing there. Now, if you have someone whose name is inscribed upon that wall, it takes on deep significance, doesn't it? Uh, one of the times that I went, um, we, uh, we were there in Washington, and there was a lady who was there. I don't know who she had lost in this, in this battle, but it was obvious that someone she cared deeply about had been lost. You could, you could see the emotional reaction in her eyes. And it struck me. To me, these are names. To someone else, they're people of significance. And obviously, when we come to Nehemiah chapter 10, we see a list of names, and to us, they're just names. But at the same right, they're, they're people. And they're people of significance to someone. We couldn't endeavor to go through each of the list of the names and determine their significance. Uh, by and large, the great, great majority of the people that are listed here in Nehemiah chapter 10 are known only to history and the sovereignty of God. We don't know them today. But what we do know is that every part of Scripture is equally inspired. And so the Spirit of God, for the purposes of God, has given to us this list of people. It, it's a list of people reminding us that we are, we, are, we are images of God. We are the image bearer of God. We are created in His image. And reminding us, as every list of people does, that one day we have an appointment to keep with that God. One day. If your family in the future decides to do a genealogy or extend upon one that has already been done, your name will be written in that book somewhere. It'll be a reminder to someone in the future upon reading that, that this was another person who had a date with destiny to meet God. All of us one day will meet our maker and will stand before him to give an account for our lives. This list reminds me of that. And, and as I say, our goal this morning is not to work through the stories of the names that are listed in chapter 10. It, it would be impossible. But to take the names that are listed there and to see what these people did and seek application of this to our own lives. In Nehemiah chapter 10, actually in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, Nehemiah chapter 10 begins with the very last verse of Hebrews, uh, excuse me, of Nehemiah chapter 9. The Hebrew Bible takes Nehemiah 9 or 38 and includes it into chapter 10. And so when we look at Nehemiah 10, we have to look at Nehemiah chapter 9 and this simple statement, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Because of all this, we make an agreement. Now, if you come to the end of chapter 10, you'll, you'll see kind of the bookend of all of it. In the latter verse, or the last verse of Nehemiah chapter 10, we read, For the people of Israel... And the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. 
So in Nehemiah 9.38, they say, we have made an agreement. And then the names of all of the people and the positions of the people who made this agreement as representatives of the nation of Israel, their name, their title is affixed to this. And the agreement comes down to the statement in, in the last verse of chapter 10, we will not neglect. We make the agreement that we will not neglect. And friends, I want to propose to you this morning that, that for the church in America, I believe that we live in one of the most neglectful generations this nation has ever seen when it comes to the things of God. And I speak that not against the people who are not people of God. I speak that not against people who are not believers. I speak that against us who are believers. Our agreement, our affirmation, our commitment to God is seen as optional. We can take it or we can leave it. And for the next couple of Sundays, these... These verses, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, is going to make up the framework of what we share together. And I want you to begin by noticing that, that, that opening phrase of 938, because of all this. Now remember, when you see a statement like that in the reading of God's Word, because of all of this, your first question should always be, well, what's he talking about? Because of all of what? Well, what you have in Nehemiah chapter 9 that we've looked at before is essentially you have a panoramic survey of what God has done through His people to this point in their pilgrimage. It's, it's, like, a, it's like the Cliff's Notes version of the history of ancient Israel. When you read a statement like that, because of all of this, always look for the understanding of it in the context in which you find it. For those of you who are realtors here, for example, when you're selling a home, you know that the number one selling point is what? Location, 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 right? You can take a house and move it to a different neighborhood, and it'll be worth more or less, depending upon the location. Likewise, the same is true when you come to understand the Word of God. Location, 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 but the word we use is context, context, context. What is the context in which we find it? The people of Israel have been reminded of the great activity of God in their lives. In Nehemiah chapter 9, we see the history of the people of God from the covenant made with Abraham up until the point where they are at this time. And understanding and remembering all of the history of what God has done brings them into verse 33 to make this astounding statement. Speaking of God in chapter 9 verse 33, Yet you have been righteous... And all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, we've acted wickedly. To come along and say, Father, you have been just. You have acted faithfully even when I did wrong. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we have. The kind of God who always does what is right even when we don't. As the people of Israel looked to the past, they saw the provision of God. And that provision of God led them to the covenant that they make here in 938. Likewise, today, as you look back at your own history, see the provision of God within your life. See how He has cared for you. See how He has provided for you. And let that lead you into decisions that you make today about your future. 
and what you will and what you will not neglect. Let's look at chapter 10 and see, first of all, who's involved in this agreement. The, the first 29 verses, as I said, is just a list of people. The, the first 27 of these people are mentioned by name. First up is one of the ones that we know on the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, after whom the book was named, the one that we know as leading the people to rebuild the walls around the city. And then from verses 4 through 28, we, we have 21 people who are priests, we're told. Verses 9 through 13, we have 17 who were Levites that, that took care of the temple and, and took care of all that went on within the temple, the ins and outs of taking care of things. And then from verse 14 through to verse 27, we have various chiefs and leaders of the people. Significant to someone. Significant in, in some way. That's the who. The people that we don't know in positions with which we are not familiar. But today, if I could, could, could I ask you to put your name and your family's names in this list of names? And see, if you were to do that, if you would be willing to make the same agreement that they made. Would you be able to have affixed your seal to the agreement that the people of God made here in Nehemiah? We're going to talk about that agreement. So put your name there in your mind, in, in your notebook, on, on the side of your paper. Somewhere put your name and your family's names in that list of people who made this agreement. And see at the end, if this was an agreement that you would have said, yeah, I, I would have done that. That's the who that's involved. Let's look at what's involved within this agreement. Again, at the, the, the latter part or, or midway part of Nehemiah chapter 10, we read in verse, 29, excuse me, verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. Here we're told all of these people, and especially all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the surrounding land to the law of God. That's, that's just the way separation is. You separate yourself from something to something else. And that's what the people of God did here. They said, we realize there is an unholy alliance, and so we must separate ourselves from the thoughts and the practice, practices and the worldview of the peoples around us, and instead we need to separate ourselves to the law of God. In fact, that word separation is a word from, it, it, it literally, it, it translates for us very well into the idea of holiness. To be separated, to be different from this world, and to be separated to God. To not act like the world around us, but to act like the God who has redeemed us. That's what we're talking about here. That's what this separation is. It is the idea of holiness to say no to the mindset of the culture and the world around us, and instead to say yes to God and what God says and what God commands. 
We read here that, that very interesting phrase as well at the end of verse 28, all of those who have knowledge and understanding, the ones who separated themselves, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. We were introduced to this very same phrase in chapter 8 when the people of God say to Ezra, bring the book out so that we might know what God says. And then as a result of, of hearing the word of God, they step into obedience to it and we have the practice laid out for us. Know the word of God, understand the word of God, but don't stop with simple knowledge and understanding do the Word of God. Apply it in your life. It's why we read from James chapter 1 earlier today. Don't, don't be simply hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. It's inconsequential if you know a lot of stuff about the Bible. It's inconsequential if you understand the many things within the Word of God. If you don't live it and if you don't apply it, well, it's useless. It's ridiculous. It's a waste of time to just simply know it and understand it and not do it. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2, we were told Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Parents, let me just reaffirm to you this day. When we talk about those who could understand the word of God, we as a church understand we know that the task of moving your children from chapter 8 through chapter 10 here, and, and those who have knowledge and understanding, it's not the task of our Sunday school. It's not the task of our church. It's not the task of the school system. It's the task of the parents to do that. Now, we partner with you in the doing of that. We're glad to do that. We're so thankful that you entrust your children to us so that we might teach them from the Word of God as well. But I promise you, if it is not reinforced within your home and within your life and within your family, it is one day going to fall on deaf ears. You're the one that's given the responsibility of teaching and training your children. We just get to come alongside you with that. The people heard the Word of God. They were so overwhelmed with the word of God. They were moved. We, we read in Nehemiah 8 that they were moved to tears. There was weeping. There was repentance. There was rejoicing at the goodness of God. And they were so serious about these things. They responded with this oath, with, with this curse of verse uh, 29. They were going to obey carefully all the commandments. They began by separating from their neighbors within this. Now, bear with me, that's kind of the introduction to the sermon this morning. So, we're going to see what we can do to get to the rest of it. To see where your life is affected when you really get serious about the Word of God. When you come along and you see the Word of God given, you hear the Word of God given, there is conviction from the Spirit of God about that. What difference does it make? Commitment of our ways to God is, is going to have a profound impact upon our homes. That's where we deal this morning. The impact on our homes that comes out of this kind of commitment to the Word of God. 
We're making an agreement. We're making a covenant. We're making an oath and a curse be on us if we don't do this. To me, it's very interesting that this, this, this begins with a rather generic promise of verse 29 that we just read, where, where we read that they join with their brothers, their nobles, and they enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. That's very broad. That's very general. All the commandments. It's, it's out here. It's big. But then immediately immediately it is applied very specifically in terms of relationships at homes and the family. That's why we read verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. An immediate application. We're going to obey all that God has given, and this is how we're going to do it. We are not going to give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So someone comes along. Well, what do you mean when you say you're going to obey the commands of God? Parents, you go home and you tell your children, listen, we plan on following Christ and obeying his word. Their first question is, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How far are you going to carry this? What are you going to do? What's going to change in your life? What does it mean, Christian, for you to say that you are a believer? What does it mean for me to say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to be his disciple. I want to follow him. Okay, what does that mean? How are you going to do that? Well, friends, I want to tell you something. It means nothing at all if it doesn't mean something in our home. If, if this kind of commitment and this kind of surrender to God and His Word means nothing in our homes, then it doesn't mean anything at all. And this impact on our homes is, is going to be expressed in a few ways. And I, I just want to share three of them with you very quickly. And I promise we will not stay too terribly late. But I want to share with you the, the impact on our homes when this kind of commitment is made. It's, it's, going to, it's going to impact the gathering of our families. It's going to impact the guiding of our families. It's going to impact the giving, uh, the, the, the giving of our families. Let's talk about this in the idea of the gathering of our families. Again, here, uh, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, chapter 10, verse 28, we read that all of those who have knowledge and understanding are gathered together in this arena, just like they have been in chapter 8, to hear the Word of God proclaimed, just like they have in the consecutive days that have come from this. Here we come in chapter 10 as well, and the families are gathered together. Wives, sons, daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. This is a family affair. And they are gathering not out of some sort of slavish service or just a dull routine. It's possible to do that, isn't it? Have you ever before had someone ask you, why do you go to church? I don't know, it's just what we do. I grew up, we went to church, so we're going to church. Well, why? It's possible to come just out of a sense of, of servitude, perhaps. It's possible to come just as a, as, a, as a routine, just going through the motions. But you see, what happened here is the people of God, their hearts were stirred by the Word of God, and they wanted to do what the book said. God's Word gripped their hearts, and that's what always has to happen. It has to be the Spirit of God through the Word of God that stirs your heart. I can't do that. 
I can't. Wish I could. Wish I could do it for myself, much less anybody else. Now, I know we could, we could design a service of some sort and and, and we, could, we could stir up the crowd and, and you could get excited and, and all of this stuff. But that stuff is gone the minute you walk out the door. If the word of God doesn't stir your heart, I'm not ever going to be able to stir your heart. And if your heart is not stirred by the word of God, then, then please take some time to evaluate your relationship to the God of the word. You see, for the, for the people, this was not an optional gathering for these families. And I know I'm going to get in trouble, but you all can just say, well, I was there, so okay, tell it to somebody else then who wasn't. And I know I'm going to get in trouble with this maybe, but I'll let the Lord deal with it. As parents, as families, every gathering that we make optional for our family and for our children allows our family to assume that this is a matter of indifference to us. But, yeah, I just don't really care. It's not that big a deal. It's not that important. Because, see, friends, we declare what is important to us by our involvement in it, don't we? We declare what is important to us by our involvement in it. And we show whether or not we are sincere about what is taking place on the Lord's day when God's people are gathered together as His church by our attitude to it. So we have no problem getting up early so that we can, can be on T number one before anybody else gets there. We have no trouble getting up early so we can look for the biggest deer or the fattest turkey. We have no difficulty getting up early so that we can be on the lake fishing. We have no difficulty getting up and going out to the ball games. But what are we saying about the gathering of God's people together to worship Him with one another? In direct violation to what the author of Hebrews says when he says, Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. It's the habit of some, but don't do that. Listen, I knew this was going to get me in trouble. I am not saying that you have to be at Boone Trail Baptist Church every Sunday morning. If God has somewhere else for you to be, and you are there because the conviction of God is that this is where I and my family need to be, I will praise the Lord together with you in that, and I will support you in that. But what I am saying is this, be somewhere with the people of God gathered as the church together. Don't neglect this time together. Do you realize the world around us and what it brings against us? And when we neglect the gathering together of God's people, that, that, that influence against us is just compounded. We declare where our hearts and our priorities are. The people gathered together. Do your children, does your family know that the gathering together of God's people with His church is important? Or do they see it in your life as something that's optional? Don't let it be optional. We will not neglect the house of our God. 
There's the gathering of our families. There's the guidance of our families. Look, look at the latter part of verse 29. Enter into this curse, an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. What's the standard and the basis by which we guide our families? Is it our own personal preference? Is it our own family value? No. It's the instruction of the Word of God. So we're going to make this oath to walk in God's law, given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord, His rules and His statutes. The people heard the Word of God. They determined that they were going to do it. And they, says, they say, this will be our guide. I know when you come to Nehemiah, they didn't have the entirety of the Word of God. But we also know that the entirety of the Word of God has been given to us. Why would we not apply what God has said? Why would we not do what God has, has called us to do? Parents, we must establish the biblical principles in the hearts and the minds of our children. They're going to learn everything that's contrary to God. They're going to learn everything that is contrary to God's Word. Where are they going to hear what God wants them to know? Yeah, I can take them to church for an hour a week and they'll get filled up with it there. <laughs> Come on. Don't be silly. Parents, if we're not doing this at home, they're not going to get it. If they don't see it in our lives, if they don't see by the way we live that we want God to be honored in everything that we do, our week at church ain't going to cut it. Let the Word of God guide your life. Let the Word of God guide your heart. So we see the gathering with God's people. We see the guidance by God's Word and then finally, we see the giving of our families. Look at verse 30 again. We'll not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. No Old Testament command that's, that's being followed here. Does it have any application for us in 21st century Johnson City? Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, you will see the very same principle laid out for us. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be connected with them. He's speaking so much of the marriage relationship. And listen, this Paul is not talking about a racial issue here. Throw that out of your mind. He's talking about a holiness issue. He, he, the ultimate division between people is not a division of color. It's not a division of resources or, or any other notion like that. The only division between people is a division between believer and unbeliever. And Paul says, believers, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Believers join into the union, especially of marriage in the context of 2 Corinthians and also the context of Nehemiah 10, be married together with believers because there is nothing that is more inconsistent than heaven and hell sleeping in the same bed together. It just doesn't work. Some of you have experienced that. You know how devastating it can be. But that's what happens when a believer marries an unbeliever. Sounds kind of blunt, doesn't it? Well, it's supposed to, because this is important. Young lady, if you're a believer, you can make that agreement today with God. 
to say, God, I'm going to follow what you have said. With God's help, I promise that I will only marry a man who loves Jesus Christ and has trusted in him for salvation. Let that guide your heart. Let that guard your heart. Young man, I challenge you to do the same thing. Not just that I will only marry someone who is a believer, but I will be the kind of believer that someone else should marry. We, we think that we might miss something if we're obedient to God and His Word. But if I do that, if I do that, I'll miss out on this. Friends, listen, God is no man's debtor. There is no good thing that the Lord will withhold from those who walk with Him. Trust Him in it. And for us as parents, let's... Parents, let's get real for just a minute. Isn't this the daunting challenge of parenting for us? <laughs> to know that what we're doing is putting these children together so that we might give them away? How, how is it that it's put, give them roots and then give them wings? <laughs> Parents, you better decide today who you're prepared to give your children to. And here, here I am, two wonderful children, 13 and 10 years old, and many of you, many of you sitting in here, you've already run the laps. You, you've been down this course. And I recognize and I acknowledge that one day, the very words I speak, may, they may stand up and laugh at me. But I want you to notice what the Word of God says. It's so straightforward that we might miss it if we're not careful. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Who is the we there? We will not do this. Who is that we? Well, who gives the daughters? Who receives them for their sons? The parents. You understand what this means? Parents. We will not do this. Who do you parents think you are? I think I'm the parent. That's who I think I am. <laughs> One of our student pastors back in North Carolina, I loved him, Byron Ayers was his name. And his catchphrase to say to parents all the time when they would come in and say, I just can't get them to do this. They just don't want to go to church. And he would stop and he would say, whoa, who's the parent? Be the parent, he would say to them. I thought, man, that's pretty good uh, counsel there. I'm going to use that. That's who we are. We're the parents. We have so democratized our society that we believe that we're supposed to sit down around the kitchen table and vote on anything and everything in the family. No. This is a benevolent dictatorship. This is what this is right here. We just, we just bought into the thinking of the culture around us. But according to Scripture, this is not it. And parents, dads, dads. Now listen, moms, we're, man, we are so blessed to have you. There is a reason God gave us you to be a help. Because if we didn't have you, what a terrible mess we would be. And we need all the help we can get. But dads, I'm going to tell you right now, we are called to guide our families in this. We're called to lead our families in this. And, and as I officiate weddings and I talk to these couples and I'll ask them, I'll ask the bride, is there going to be a giving of the bride? This is the kind of idea where this came from. Is there going to be a giving of the bride at the wedding? And I'm going to tell you, when this, when this time finally comes in my home, 
Lord, help me when this time comes in my home. I fully intend on giving that boy that shows up at my front door the 10th degree. I fully intend to do that. And, 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 and any girl that shows up at my home, well, first of all, I hope she has a father who loves her as much as I love my children so that my son gets that 10th degree. I can't wait to hear about that meeting. That's just going to be so much fun. That's just going to be so awesome when that happens. Why? Why would I do something like that? Why would I care so much? Because I love my children. And I want what God wants for them. Honestly, I just have to be honest with you. It's why I've gotten interested in guns. <laughs> I wasn't all that into guns until I got married and realized I was going to have a family. And I tell you, when that boy comes, I'm going to have him spread out. I'm buying as many guns as I can. And I'm going to have them spread out. And I want to look at that boy and I want to tell him, I'm not afraid to go back to prison, buddy. Just want you to know that. I want him to see a little bit of crazy in my eye when this day comes. I'll just be honest with you. You've heard me talk about my dog, my little Elsa. Here's the reason I wanted a real dog. Because Elsa, God love her heart. She's sweet. She's precious. But she is not going to chase some punk boy out of my door at any time. She's like that big. She's not going to do a thing. So if any of y'all are giving away German Shepherds or Doberman Pinschers or Rottweilers, you come talk to me. We'll get something going. Why do I care about this? Because I love my kids. I want what God wants for them. And I know this from experience because I've missed it enough in my life that what God wants is always what's best. Parents, be aware of this naivety that, that, that says it doesn't matter who my children are spending time with. It matters. It matters. You see, the people of God were confronted with the Word of God and they made a commitment based upon that. And when we are confronted with the Word of God, we have a choice to make. We can choose obedience or disobedience. We can choose submission or rebellion. If we choose obedience, if we choose submission, it's going to have an impact on our homes. It's going to have an impact. If it doesn't, we didn't choose obedience and submission. We chose convenience. So what are you going to do with God's Word this morning? What are you going to do with God's word this morning? The people made an agreement. And it's going to impact our families. My family is going to gather with the people of God. As a matter of obedience to the word of God. My family is going to be guided by the teachings of God. And my goal is one day to give my family. Knowing the word of God and living it in their lives. Not so it makes me look good, because it's for their benefit and for God's glory. That's why. So what are you going to do with God's Word this morning? There's a commitment that all of us have in this. 
Maybe today is just a commitment, a time of commitment for you, a time of commitment to know, to understand, and to be obedient to the Word of God. Maybe this is just the day that you write it down and you say, God, this is the day I'm making an agreement with you. By your strength, in your power, with your help, I choose obedience. And when I fall, help me to fall heavily upon your grace that picks me up and sets me right back again. Maybe, maybe parents, you need to commit yourself and say, we can't let this be an option in our family anymore. It's got to be real. We're going to gather together with God's people. We're going to be guided by God's word so that we can give these children. Our children, teenagers, beyond that, commit yourself to follow after God's design in your own love life and, and eventual marriage, if that's God's plan for you, if it's not, then God's got a different plan for you. The plan is still the same in that He wants to bring glory to Himself through your life. But make the decision that your alignments are going to be with the people of God. Make, make the decision, young people, that if God brings marriage into your life, you're going to make the choice that it's going to be a man of God, it's going to be a woman of God. What's the decision you'll make? What will you do with God's Word? Father, we thank you this day for the precious gift of your Word. We've, we've seen the example. We've seen it more than once. We've seen example after example in this book of Nehemiah of the people being confronted with the Word of God and stepping out in obedience to it.